0: Every day of our lives is spent in the built environment. We live in homes and apartments, drive on roads, get gas from pipelines, go to work in buildings, make purchases in stores and restaurants. We rely on factories, plants, doctor's offices, and hospitals for our basic human needs. And while our world continues to shift and grow and change, the development and delivery of the built environment has fallen dramatically behind. Welcome to the Built Revolution. We're here to engage the leaders, visionaries, and innovators who are revolutionizing the built environment. This podcast is brought to you by Continuum Advisory Group and the Construction Industry Institute.
1: Hello and welcome to the Built Revolution Podcast. Uh, I'm Clark Ellis, uh, your host with Continuum Advisory Group. And today we've got a a fantastic uh, subject to talk about and a fantastic guest. Uh, The subject is Talking about the the role of design in prefabrication, um, and we're gonna we're gonna get into some definitions. So I'm, I'm gonna leave them leave them vague at this point. We're gonna get into some definitions of, of design and then different levels of prefabrication um, as we as we start off the uh, the conversation. Uh, but I have with me uh, today Zig Rebel, who is the the founder, president, and CEO of Foresight Digital, uh, a technology company. Uh, that is at the leading edge of new design technology for buildings. Uh, he has a background in the healthcare space and as an architect. Um, and so his uh, foresight is uh, digital, is first working on a solution that will be deployed in, in the healthcare space for, for construction. Um, but I'm going to let Zig tell you uh, more about him. I, I, I don't want to tell everybody, I don't, don't want to tell his story for, for him. So uh, Zig, welcome to the podcast and maybe introduce yourself to our, to our
2: listeners. Sure. Thanks for having me, Clark. So as Clark mentioned, I'm Zig Rubel. Um, I I like sharing the story that I embarked on. I I first started practicing in in New York City. And uh, any of you who have worked or, or been in New York City, there's a lot of buildings that are built. And for an architect, we get to do a lot of remodels. And as a young architect, I wanted to work on new buildings. And the company I was working for had won the Sprint World Headquarters campus project. It was 4 million square feet from the ground up. And it was just like a sandbox of toys for an architect. So I went out there for a couple of years and we would design things. And the next day they were building it. It was just this incredible collaborative journey. Um, I then moved out to California. Uh, California has a set of healthcare requirements that require hospital buildings to be seismically safe and regulated. So that gave me this impression of job security. But while I was out there, uh, I got involved with the definition and documentation of integrated project delivery with AIA. And it it ties into this collaborative uh, mindset and thinking that is tied to prefabrication. Um, So again, as Clark mentioned, uh, my background is healthcare. Uh, I've spent uh, the last 20 years working on about 20 million square feet of healthcare buildings. Uh, About 11 years ago, I met an entrepreneur who came from the chip design world where things are very automated and are manufactured. And he wanted to use that design technology for healthcare buildings. And I was curious. I At first I thought, no, this this guy can't be real. They, they can't do such things. But <laughs> in, in fact, they, they do. And uh, one of the stories I'll just quickly share is that when he was working on the 386 computer chip, he was one of 100 engineers for a million transistor chip. And when I met him he was designing a million transistor chip by himself. Wow. So they really have these fantastic design automation tools. So we, you know, naively thought, yeah, we're just going to, we're going to apply this to hospitals and it'll be great. And, you know, we'll be on the beach. And of course it's a much more difficult problem to solve than I think we, we realized. So about uh, three and a half years ago, I left the software side of the company, started my own company, doing traditional design, uh, finishing up the the design work I had had started at Aditas. And into it, I realized that I missed the idea of helping clients figure out what they need. Mm. So Foresight Digital is using uh, requirements Planning to help healthcare operators figure out what it is that they, they need to start the design. And the reason why it's relevant uh, to the program today is uh, twofold. One, hospitals or healthcare buildings take a very long time to plan. Uh, I, right. I often tell people it takes as long to plan a healthcare building as it does to take to design and construct it. So, if you right. imagine like a, a billion dollar healthcare campus may take five to seven years to design and build, the client is thinking about that five to seven years beforehand. And, and it's right. understandable because it, it's a lot of money that mm-hmm. they're going to commit to. So, Foresight Digital has a tool that allows a user to figure all that out. Ideally in one meeting, but we know everyone won't agree to it in one meeting. Right. But the idea is that you can get your answers right away and then you're just validating it and not coming up with a, a, a customized solution. So that's my story. And thank you again for being interested in in talking about prefabrication.
1: Absolutely. And th- thanks for the uh, for the insight in, on your on your background and, and your current your current projects. And yeah, you know, that, that really, um, you know, what you just described in terms of what Foresight Digital is focused on, uh, you know, I think we can all imagine the power of being able to compress, uh, that, that planning time, um, and, and really be able to get, and, and not lose anything in the, in the, uh, in the compression. Um, in other words, ha- have all the insight and all the data that you need to make those important decisions and actually make better decisions, um, in, in less time, which, you know, I think in, in today's world, um, you know, everyone is is dealing with you know higher velocity, the need to be responsive to to market demand, um, and so we we spend so much time in in those those planning phases. Uh, and a lot of it is, is well is time well invested, but if there's ways to shrink that down, um, that can you know, dramatically change the uh, change the equation for those projects. So that's that's uh, that's exciting.
2: Yeah, I, I couldn't agree more.
1: Yeah, well, and, and I think you know, prefabrication is something that. Um, you know, we, we've been you know, paying a lot of attention to in our practice, uh, a lot of our clients, uh, whether they be owners, uh, you know, larger sort of general contractors or specialty contractors or fabricators or, or designers are all trying to figure out what it means uh, right now. It seems like, a, you know, we're, we're, in, we're in a really exciting period, time period in construction where uh, the idea of prefabrication or offsite construction or industrialized construction is, um, is evolving you know, right, right in front of our eyes, um, mm-hmm. which is exciting, but it's also challenging. Um, yeah. and so, so before we, before we jump in, um, I think it, it would, it would probably help, uh, this conversation, uh, to, to, you know, contextualize a little bit by, by just giving what we, how we define, um, you know, this sort of catch all of prefabrication. Um, and I know when we, when we talked before, um, you know, you talked about four, four different levels, uh, that are, that are non-exclusive, but, but still distinct. Um, you know, those being industrialized construction, which is, you know, customized manufacturing from, from a kit of parts to a building um, offsite construction, which is customized creation of a building that's not on site using your know, digital components, um, you know, et cetera, componentized prefab. So you know, again, parts of that building, you know, being made offsite, but not, not the whole building and then being brought on site and, and put together, whether, you know, by traditional means or, you know, new, new fastening methods or Lego blocks, whatever that, mm-hmm. that looks like. And then manufactured components, um, which are you know, elements from a building that, that, that manufacturers makes more like you know, building products, which could range from everything that we see today, like you know, roofing or, you know, wall, uh, wall coverings and cladding to, to flooring, uh, or, it, or it could be, uh, larger, um, assemblies of, of multiple uh, products put together. So, um, Maybe if you could kind of give a little bit more color to these to these four four categories before we before we move ahead
2: yeah sure um so I think uh, I'm actually going to start in reverse order and talk right. about manufactured components primarily because to reinforce that buildings today are partially prefabricated um, right. so um, if we talk about an American standard or Kohler uh, sink or or water closet, that's made in a factory. Uh, it, it's comes out exactly the same every time. You you indicate a model number, and and that's what you get, and it, it all gets shipped out. Um, so I think we're we're all used to dealing with manufactured components for buildings. However, I, as a as an architect or a designer, I don't think beyond. That a manufactured component could then become the entire building. Right. So in that evolution, a lot of the trade shops were realizing that they could prefabricate their assemblies or their components in their shops. So they're taking these manufactured components and they're they're just making them into let's call it bigger objects. And I right. think in the early two thousands. At least in the in the vertical building world, we saw that with duct racks, uh, electrical chases, mm-hmm. um, plumbing assemblies, uh, and then eventually we started seeing them with uh, light gauge metal framing. Mm-hmm. So those became componentized prefabrication uh, assemblies. Right. Moving up the supply chain or I'm sorry, the, the idea of prefabrication, there's this notion of offsite construction Mm -hmm. and the, the the way I would distinguish offsite construction and industrialized construction, or, or, or let's just say componentized versus offsite. Componentized construction really doesn't look at the entire building. It just looks at a system or maybe two systems. Right. Okay. Off-site construction is really looking at a design that has already been created, but now they're trying to figure out how to make it off-site in a, in a shop or a factory to where there's economies of scale. Right. And examples of that, uh, DPR has digital components. I know PCL construction does a lot of yeah. Uh, offsite construction, and then uh, many of the industrialized process plants, uh, Clark, that I know you, yeah. you're familiar with, are all prefabricated offsite. Um, be, because yeah, it fact, doesn't make much sense to do it otherwise.
1: Yeah, in fact, we we were um, I was at a conference on Wednesday, the uh, the Curt um, Offsite Construction Summit, and there were some presentations where you know, they were showing some some of the largest. You know, essentially modules I've ever seen. I mean, like you know, sixty feet tall, you know, sixty feet wide, and you know, hundred feet long. um, You know, with that they that they were considering as a full module, and then you know, showing showing how they actually moved those those massive uh, components from the fab yard to the actual installation was pretty impressive. Yeah,
2: yeah. (laughs) I I mean, I'm blown away when they ship an LNG. Plant from the plant to wherever it's going, and it like takes up an entire area on a ship. Yeah, it's just pretty insane.
1: Yeah, so, seems like we could build an office building, right? Yeah,
2: <laughs> or or at least part of one.
1: Exactly. <laughs>
2: <laughs> so then, the the last piece, which is kind of the holy grail, is this notion of industrialized construction, where the building itself is thought of as a coordinated kit of parts. Mm. And this is where, if you think of an IKEA bookshelf, IKEA is actually making homes. And there's a company called Boklok. Uh, It's a company in Sweden Mm -hmm. where they're uh, assembling homes. And and we jokingly say everything comes including the Allen wrench. Um, But... (laughs) But they, they are doing that. Uh, another company in Germany that I was exposed to is called Cadalto. Uh, mm-hmm. Cadalto actually makes uh, hospitals in, in their shop, and then they, they ship them and stitch them together on site. And, and what impressed me the most about this company is that they're actually leasing out their buildings so that when a building is off lease... They take the building back, they repurpose it and put it back out in the environment. So it's it's really talking to the uh, circular economy, circular economy and, yeah. yeah, and repurposing uh, buildings. And then uh, here in the U.S., there are many many uh, home builders that are providing turnkey solutions for mm-hmm. industrialized construction. I'm going to give a shout out to a company called Blocks. Uh, they're in the Southeast and they, they do industrialized healthcare where they have some fairly significant contracts with uh, the major healthcare players for uh, creating a, a standalone emergency uh, room or healthcare wings or, or things like that. So it's, it's happening.
1: Yeah, it, it is exciting to see see how things are seem to be accelerating. Um,
2: yeah,
1: you know, I mean, I remember was was talking to someone from you know the big general contractor who was doing a a a, a, a modular project in the hospitality space, and they started I think two years ago, and the, one of their biggest problems was that they couldn't find fabricators here domestically that could deliver what they needed uh, for the project. And so they they ended up going to Europe and that, and they got good product, but there were a lot of logistical challenges, particularly as COVID, you know, dropped right in the middle of the, of the project. Um, But I was talking to the project executive recently and they said, you know, if we were starting that project today uh, we wouldn't have to go overseas. Um, You know, the capacity has just been increasing here in the U S which is exciting. Yeah. It was, it's, uh, it's pretty, pretty interesting. And it kind of goes to the, uh, the idea that anyone who's who's trying to research this and stay stay in touch with it has to really pay attention, you know, week week to week, um, you know, as as things are changing.
2: Yeah, um, absolutely.
1: So great, uh, thanks for for getting some, putting some more um, detail on those on those different uh, different categories, going from you know, manufactured components through componentized prefab, offsite construction, and finally you know, industrialized construction, where I think. Um, to your point, we're we're ultimately, you know, I think pointing towards um, while there's 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 significant value at every step, you know, along that way, mm-hmm. uh, you know, compared to doing things the, the old-fashioned or the stick-built way, right? Um, and you know, we're going to focus a lot of our discussion around uh, the design function, um, you know, both because you know, you've spent the majority of your career in that, so you're you're an, you're an expert in it, and also because it's one of the areas of greatest i think of greatest need in terms of um fulfilling the, the the potential that the industry has uh to 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 migrate towards industrialized construction. So mm-hmm. um so you know before we jump into that though i think you you have a really uh, interesting way of defining or conceptualizing what design means and I, i'd really would like to hear you you kind of articulate that for uh, for our listeners.
2: Yeah so uh and again, I'm not trying to uh, plug my company. However, there's a very basic role for design, especially in the prefabrication uh, mindset, which is determining the need of the the project right. And what we mean by the need is the purpose, what is it going to be used for? the, the actual specific, Requirements or the tactical aspects of it. What style do you want? How do you want the user to experience it? The longevity, you know, is this something that's going to last for a year as in a trailer or is it something that's going to last 100 years like a courthouse? Right. What's your initial cost in terms of the capital expenses? What's your operating costs? And then what's becoming more and more. Uh, important today is the environmental impact. You know mm-hmm. what is your carbon footprint, and and I think that firmly lies in the role of the designer. And I think that if the designer can really define that clearly, it sets up the outcome to be much more successful. So that outcome is not what I'm calling the construction, but the right. realization of those quote-unquote needs. Right. And it, it's really about compliance. It's about complying with the design, complying with the schedule, complying with the cost. and right. then understanding that there needs to be some flexibility within those three um, vectors, if you will. And on top of that, there's a supply chain that you have to navigate around. Mm-hmm. Right. And, and the whole supply chain challenge has been kind of blown up recently because of COVID. But right. I think the supply chain, especially around prefabrication, isn't as well understood mm-hmm. as we, um, we need to know about it, especially as you get into bigger and bigger modules for uh, transporting them right. to the building. And then we need to understand how does the turnover and commissioning of the project take hold and how is that different or how can that be uh, made faster because you're prefabricating it in a um, better way? And then can we give better warranties to buildings because they're they're made in an industrialized uh, process? Right. that's how I would suggest we think about prefabrication, the, the requirements or needs and realizing the, the design. I,
1: th- I think that makes sense. I like it because I think we, we get so stuck in our traditional construction industry roles a lot of times that it, it prevents us from thinking about um, the process that actually needs to happen. Um, you know, this, this definition and description uh, scoping uh, of this need, and then the strategy and the and, and the execution of how we realize on that.
2: Um, yeah, so. and I'm sure you're familiar with this term of bridging documents, where yep. the government will go out and find out similarly what the needs are, and then hire a design build team to realize it. the The, the big difference that I would um, suggest we think about is that when they do those bridging type of documents, they really shouldn't come up with a design because Mm. when you come up with a design, you're baking in cost and you're baking in certain expectations as opposed to allowing the team that's going to realizing it to figure out how to solve the problems themselves. Right. And and that's the big uh, distinguishing factor I I would suggest.
1: So uh, I think you're making a great point. So, because um, because i think people are always going to you know it, it's great to to define you know these these terms but ultimately people are going to say okay well, well who's doing what and and what what are the implications uh you know i'm i'm am an architect not i'm not really but right you know just say yeah. you know, I, i'm an architect w- what should i be thinking about what sh- what should i be doing in this context what what, what is my business going to look like in 5 years um, and I, i'm not asking you to be a you know, to to predict but you know, just what, what are your thoughts on on you know, kind of how, how our roles need to need to fit fit into this concept?
2: No I, I think it's it's a very spot on question and I think the role of the architect needs to change. And what I mean by that is when I first started practicing, a lot of our value add is let's call it public safety and and making sure that when you design a building, People can go in and come out uh, and feel confident that they're they're not going to be harmed. Right. I think now it's an exciting time for architects to be involved because they could focus more on the styling and the experience of the design and not necessarily get caught up in all of the code requirements and the minutiae that is entailed because one, a lot of that could be, uh, put in, uh, electronic programs and be automated as well as it's a very rules-based process and it's not something they teach a lot of in architecture school. So right. if you could leverage the creativity uh, thinking and the problem solving ability of an architect and provide the value to the client that they're looking for and, and giving the project the range of solutions that are desired, mm-hmm. that would be the best thing for the project.
1: Well, that's, I, I think that's, that's an interesting, very interesting concept. I think um, w- w- maybe some different skill sets um, are needed. Um you know, to to be successful in, in that in that range, to me, I'm I'm hearing uh, or the need for uh, architects or people in that role at you know being able to facilitate discussion and um, pull you know sort of extract information about needs you know from 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 the client and um, and potentially under you know, knowing you know how and when to engage other other organizations or other people that have different skill sets, you know, for example, um, you know, detailed engineering or, uh, or construction or, you know, fabrication of, of components. Um, are, are these, are these, the type, some of those I'm sure are, are, are typical skills, you know, the architects are either trained on or, or learn, but some of those, I think maybe a little different. What, what are your, am I, am I kind of out to, out to lunch here or is this, uh, on, on no,
2: no, you're, you're at the dinner table, Clark. <laughs> um, So one of the things I was going to say, there's a really great book by William Penna uh, of HOK called Problem Seeking. And it's really about defining the requirements for a building. And a lot of it's on commercial buildings, but I believe Mm -hmm. uh, much of it could be used for any building type. But again, to your point, the architect is really a facilitator of communication and understanding. What does a client really need?
0: Mm-hmm.
2: And, and it's it's not just coming up with the napkin sketch at, at you know at a cocktail uh, table, but really understanding what is success in the design outcome. What does it look like? Mm-hmm. And it, it does take a lot of different voices. And if you imagine. Uh, I, I don't know the exact number, but I know when Disney designs one of their rides, they have a few dozen different specialists that all understand what the ride is supposed to do. Right. I mean, you still have an architect because it's a building and someone has to coordinate all of that, but that's the kind of thinking that I see industrialized construction really needing to go into to fully understand the experience of building.
1: That, that, that makes perfect sense. Um, So where, where do you think we are? Um, You know, if, you know, getting, getting to this point where we're, where where the the industry is ready and is delivering, you know, on industrialized construction, you know, are we, um, you know, at a, at a 10 on a scale of one to a hundred, or are we on a 75? Where, where, where do you see the, the, the industry's, you know, ability to fulfill that role right now?
2: That's So my, my crystal ball, I would say, is still really cloudy. And, and yeah. the reason why I say that is, I think, so Clayton Christensen, you know, very well-respected uh, business thinker, uh, wrote The Innovator's Dilemma. Yep. Um, and he defined, there needs to be three components. One, for, for innovation, one is a simplifying technology. And, and I believe we we're beginning to see that. And I would say on a scale of one to 10, we're probably between a five and a seven. Okay. Depending on which scale you're on. Right. Then you need, and, and this is where it starts getting a lot trickier, the value network. Okay. And- who is part of the value network? And there we may be between a three and a five. Okay. And then the last one is you need a business model innovation. I right. think there we're at a one. Yeah. Be- because, you know, how many clients are still doing design, bid, build? Yeah. A- and I know that there's a lot of interest and movement in progressive design build, which is awesome. I think that's great. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think for industrialized construction to take off, we really need to re-examine what the business model is for the built environment.
1: Now, I, I think you're absolutely right about that. We're, we're you know involved in, in various different you know, projects. And one, one of our long-term projects is, is a uh, something called OS2. For the construction industry, that's a research effort um, out of CII, the Construction Industry Institute at the University of Texas in Austin. And um, it's really focused on business model innovation and and the recognition that, um, you know, if if we want to achieve something different, uh, you know, something great, maybe uh, we we can't continue using the same, you know, contracting strategies and the same incentives. And we can't we can't uh, keep looking at risk in the same way. Um, yeah
2: absolutely
1: you know as a and that's that's a obviously I mean, it's just one one aspect but it's a really really important aspect of this like who you know, who's on the hook for various uh, various issues you know when it comes to it and and you know when you when you really dig into it, uh, I don't think the current methods do a very good job of making sure that risks are maybe assigned to the parties that are best able or in the best position to manage mitigate all the time right you know? it, yes, absolutely just just that one aspect has all these ripple effects on, on the way the projects um, turn out because they influence the behavior of the, the team members that are out there on, on the project um, you know how many, how many times I, you know I've worked with uh, it, with an IPD project where they, they didn't want to do an inter- integrated form of agreement but they want the team to be IPD and behave that way and it, it usually works great until the the CM at risk has got a guaranteed max you know contract um, is having to do something that's going to, you know, injure them and, you know, economically and, and the owner basically says, Hey, you got to, we got a contract. Um, and it's sort of like, well, guys, that's not the IPD behavior. Um, it is, it is the contracting environment you're in, but if we're going to be an integrated team, you know, we've got to come up with a different way to resolve that issue than, than just to say, Hey, at the end of the day, it's, it's, it's the contractor's risk, uh, in, in that case. Um, you know, and so those those business models drive culture uh, and drive behavior, which is so powerful in determining how the you know how how, how all these these projects uh, succeed, fail, you know, kind of come in somewhere in the middle, you know, etc. Um, yeah,
2: I, I just want to maybe challenge the audience and, and maybe yeah. you about yeah. something you you said, which is at the end of the day, it's the contractor's risk right and and i would say actually at the end of the day it's the owner's risk
1: no it definitely i'm sorry in, in that case i was i was speaking as the owner in yeah the, okay you're, you're 100% correct
2: because absolutely. the owner ultimately is both the beneficiary and the risk taker
1: absolutely and
2: and absolutely. they're the ones who are are likely going to need to see and enable this path forward
1: definitely Definitely, the owner the owners need to need to be the leaders in terms of the decision making. Yeah, uh, in moving this forward, uh, I think a lot of other a lot of other folks and roles can uh, pro- make proposals and 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 show things and teach and 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 convince. But ultimately, you know, it, it's the owners' assets, right? Right. And, and that's the, it's their needs that we're we're trying to fulfill.
2: Um, yeah, absolutely. You
1: know, as an industry, you no, know, I, I think you're you're you're, you're spot on on that. Wow, we have we have really covered a lot here, and there's there's a lot on this on this subject. Um, and so we're we're gonna we're gonna leave it here for this episode because um, we, we we've kind of set the stage. We've had some some great great discussion about the current state of affairs and a little bit, you know, talking about where we might be heading. Um, but we're going to do a second episode uh, and focus on you know how how we can move forward as an industry and realize the promise of. Prefabrication and ultimately industrialized construction. So, um, Zig, I really appreciate uh, you you being here and sharing your insights and your thoughts. It's it's always exciting uh, and fun to get together and, and, and talk with you on these these subjects. You've, you've got so much uh, experience and knowledge and creativity and and vision. So, I, I'm really looking forward to the second second half of our discussion. So.
2: Well, thank you. I'm I'm looking forward to talking with you again. It's always been a blast, and I always learn a lot especially because you, you have a, a wide set of experiences and, and hopefully everyone who's listening this time will come back for the next session.
1: Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, we, we haven't given you guys the answer yet. So you've got to come back for more. <laughs> so uh, excellent. Thank you very much, Sig. And thank you to, to the listeners for the Built Revolution podcast. Again, this is Clark Ellis with Continuum Advisory Group. And uh, thank you for staying with us today and looking forward to talk with you again.
0: Thanks for listening to the Built Revolution Pod brought to you by Continuum Advisory Group and the Construction Industry Institute. Continue the conversation on Twitter at BuiltRevolutionPod or email us at hello at BuiltRevolutionPod.com. The views expressed in this podcast are those of the individuals being interviewed, and they do not necessarily reflect the views of the sponsoring organizations.